What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 53. We're joined today by Bill Reinhardt, the founder and CEO of Bold Carts. Bold manufactures premium vape cartridges, batteries, and hardware for plant-based oil extracts designed to provide a smooth and reliable vaping experience for premium products. Their technology combines quality, durability, and innovation in its hardware to support the plant-based extractor, processor, grower, and consumer. They craft the most reliable, efficient, and elegant solutions available in today's atomizer and packaging markets. Find out more at boldcarts.com and enjoy the show. Bill, welcome to the show, man. Good to have you join us. Thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah, it's ex- exciting to bring you in and, and talk shop. You've been uh, hard at work these last six years over there at Bold, and the cannabis industry is a different beast entirely probably than when you began. <laughs> yeah, very different. You know, not only from a, you know the economic situation for a lot of companies, but also the actual devices and what people are leaning towards now versus you know, three, four, five years ago. Yes. Yeah. And um, before we get into Bold itself, could we talk a little bit about your past and the projects you've been involved in before Bold? Sure. Absolutely. So my background was um, in technology, uh, specifically internet infrastructure. Um, I grew up on the sales side, so I'm not an engineer. Uh, I know enough to be dangerous, but I'm not like you. I can't write software. Um, but, uh, you know, our specialty um was delivering media content, specifically video, to the edge of the network so it performed better for end users. This is back in the days when, you know, YouTube was new and they were a big customer of ours. So it was Facebook and, and companies like that. And we were part of their initial video strategy. And so a long time ago. Wow. Yeah. And I imagine there's um, plenty of stories there working with YouTube in the origin days and seeing the limitations of video tech in those in those times could you see the evolution that it would become now already? Or did it take a little while to, um, to drink the Kool-Aid or see the picture there? Well, I think what changed everything was the iPhone. Once, once you could you know, actually see a little flat screen in your hand, it was you know, predominantly screen and very little out, uh, outside interference and it became obvious. And even in the early days when young people would watch YouTube on their phones, um, instead of their computers that really opened things up and you fast forward to today and you know i don't need to tell you if you look at anyone including myself on an airplane i'm watching it on a phone yeah we it's just wild, never, huh? we never envisioned that when it started it became uh became just a regular device to have that screen in your pocket and youtube is um, laughing all the way to the bank from the beginning <laughs> absolutely absolutely they did yeah. an amazing job Definitely. And, and what a what a cool way to get started uh, and to make a career as well, um, helping on that side of infrastructure and tech. Um, what was the catalyst or what was going on in life or in your careers to make that pivot now into bold? Or were you starting to think that way already uh, as the career was going? Well, I 
come near the end of what I wanted to do in the tech space. And I was super interested in the cannabis space. I was an investor early on in the late, I guess, 2007, 2008 timeframe in a company here in Phoenix called Sunday Goods. Um, and, uh, and so I was fascinated by the space. I didn't know how close I wanted to get to the actual licensing side of it. So I looked at it and said, okay, if this is going to be a gold rush, I want to sell picks and shovels. I mean, if you look at the gold gold rush, yeah. you know, the guys that made it were picks and shovels, the Wells Fargo and and, and Levi's. And, and none of them actually panned for gold. They panned for money from the people panning for gold. Exactly. Uh, just catering and, and helping the people do their gold rush. That's, That's um, right. You're not the first to mention the picks and shovels style approach. I think it's uh, those ancillary businesses are 100% needed. There's no way around it. Yeah, and you know, in addition to the hardware and, and the stuff you mentioned at the beginning, which was spot on, we also do packaging across the board in all spaces of cannabis. So it's not just the oil business; it's flour, it's it's edibles, it's everything in between. So we also do that. And cannabis packaging knows no bounds. There, everyone just keeps That's true. <laughs> they just keep getting more creative with how they do it or how it unfolds. I've seen origami like cardboard packaging around some things. Oh, in the in the in the depending on the state, you know, the regulations just continue to shift, whether it needs to be, you know, CR, whether it needs to be, you know, I can go on and on, whether it has to have a sticker on it, et cetera. It's a little messy there um, as states find their ways. Um, definitely the, you know, states tend to to settle on something, but just over the border, it could be completely different. And bold caters to the cannabis industry overall. Um, how is that scale and approach worked for you? Did you start with a regional approach or did, did you leverage the entire industry at once kind of coming into well, the I space? Think, I think we, you know, we're in Arizona and so we wanted to hit a home base first. So we grew a nice footprint in Arizona. And now if you fast forward, you know, five years or so, we're in 39 states and nine countries currently in counting. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, we have the luxury of not being regulated or in a licensed environment. So, we can we can sell to all people, um, and obviously we're only in the business of selling to people that are licensed, right? But not having to to jump through those hoops on your own side of the business and not worry about two eighty e, it's more business as usual in a manufacturing sense. Correct, one hundred percent. And that is a certain freedom there that um, entrep- like being an entrepreneur is definitely not easy. But being an entrepreneur in a licensed, regulated industry is is difficult <laughs> compared to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what our customers go through. To be honest with you, so you gotta you gotta hand it to the people that have hung in there and are still kicking and fighting and and uh, and being successful. A little bit of attrition game playing played out in the long term here. Uh, so, getting started with Bold, um, what was the first product? you approached or were there prototypes that had to be made or uh, did you find vendors that were already providing some of the hardware that just needed to be kind of pulled together and packaged separately? No, we designed our own from the very beginning. And, and our, our thing was, you know, we want to, you know, as we did in technology, how do you make it better, faster, cheaper? Um, yeah. And so that, <laughs> that was our goal from the beginning. And at the beginning it was just five, 10 thread carts. That's that's all it was with, with batteries. I mean, that was 90% of the industry. Um, now you it's fast essentially forward, what you found in every shop as well, huh? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But fast forward, you know, five years and 
it's wildly different. I would, you know, I would say it's probably 50% cartridges and, and batteries now and 50% what I would call other devices, all in ones, pods, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but, you know, clearly um, the devices have evolved because the oil that goes in them has evolved. So, you know, we're looking at just distillate five years ago. Now you're looking at rosin, live resin. They have different viscosities, different heating requirements, different power requirements. So what we try to do, you know, not that we can be everything to everybody, but but to the extent that we can customize a solution for what that specific person's product is, that's what our aim is. Yeah, and I imagine across the board with all the different cannabinoids or different amounts of terpene, um, different finished products want that that volatile temperature at a different point or need to last right. longer at a certain price point. Um, yeah, I imagine it's it's a uh, a little bit of a consulting game still to figure out the right products or the right home for a new license coming to Bold to start to become a supplier. That's right. And. At first, how big was Bold as far as a company roster goes, and where are you at today? Well, it's funny. Um, this will come as a surprise to especially other people in our industry, but our goal is and always has been to keep it as lean as possible. Not because we want to overwork people, but because we want people to, we, we overpay our staff on purpose uh, so that they'll stay and thrive. So we started out with maybe a half a dozen people and we're probably um, in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 right now. And from a revenue perspective, we're probably on par with somebody that has 60 to 80 employees. Um, and so uh, our revenue per employee is off the charts because for the most part, this the group of people we've been with for many of them have been with us for 20 years through a series of companies that we've done. Um, and so just uh, makes it, I think a better environment than just making it a body shop. Right. Yeah. And um, music to my ears, they're talking about lean and, and waste management. Um, all of that kind of process optimization from the software side of the fence. I love seeing that in manufacturing and you know business owners kind of taking it to heart and running their whole business, like the scrum teams and things like that in software. Sure. Uh, it's always hard to, it's when you scale because the easy way or the way your mind goes at first often is to scale with people versus scaling with process or with, um, uh, with strategy or, you know, something outside of the roster. Were there any things in the process that you use to keep the shop lean or anything that you guys are using in house to make sure it stays lean? Yeah, I think, you know, we've got some pretty, pretty interesting systems that some of them are homegrown, but what we've done and spent a lot of time on is AI in the last 12 months. Um, so that, awesome. you know, we can use, you know, chat GPT layered on top of all of our existing systems so that literally we can give a grade to an order, if that makes any sense. So if a salesperson submits an order, we can say that's an A minus or that's a B plus or that's, you know, and, and really learn from our mistakes, learn from the things that we're doing right, learn from the things that we're doing wrong and track and track all that. Wow. Um, yeah. You have that, so, those little inspect and adapt events happening constantly with every order. That's right. It goes for inventory. It goes for sales orders. It goes for billing. It goes for collections. You name it, and we're layering AI on top of everything. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was kind of a uh, starting gun 
when that AI, when AI really got to the headlines and people started getting deeper into GPT and, and more things like that, uh, it's awesome to see that you're taking advantage of it already. I really yeah, think that- I was that, stunned by it. Yeah, did it take <laughs> like you from the beginning or? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard about ChatGPT, I downloaded it and I just literally couldn't believe the power of it. Um, and immediately we started saying, how can we make this work for our business? So, Yeah, as soon as you see the power, then the wheels start spinning, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it um, it provides a like a service almost the way a calculator does. In that, if you need to do some complex algorithm, you still need to understand the underlying maths and kind of know what your inputs are. But the calculator can get you there pretty quick. You know, if you need like an inverse tangent or some kind of you know algorithmic uh, number, you can just type what you need and get that number and move on. It's still mathematics, and I think that's really where. AI and ChatGPT comes in as just a method to get work done faster or kind of facilitate some of the, not boring maybe, but hard or time consuming work. <laughs> yeah. And really glean, glean information from it. Say, are we doing stuff right? Are we doing stuff wrong? Are we doing, can we do better? That, those, those kind of decisions. Yeah. I think the API options that ChatGPT has will slowly surpass modern reporting so that you're not really reporting anymore. You're just asking for what you need or 100%. setting alerts. That's pretty unreal. That's some yeah. sci-fi stuff right there. That's right. <laughs> so outside of the AI and the operation now, um, where's Bold headed for 2024? Well, we're, we're, we had a great 2023. So as we head in, we actually have our kickoff tomorrow, our company kickoff here in the office. But, you know, the main things for us is, you know, we've got this kind of mantra within the company that's, that goes around higher standards. And we mean that across the board. And AI has a lot to do with that. You know, we've never been able to grade what kind of job people are doing before, besides just did you make a number or not make a number. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, we filed um, some patents around uh, a new uh, heating mechanism um, Ooh, that we're bringing cool. to market uh, within the not only the cartridges, but also the all-in-one devices. And um, those are the, and the other thing is we're, we're really trying to start focusing on green. You know, how can we make these things better for the environment? How can we make them, you know, recyclable? I mean, the problem with recycling, you know, lithium batteries has always been, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. There's not a lot to recycle. I and see. so that's why nobody's really spent a lot of time and effort on it. Uh, but we're we're looking at a, a number of different things. Our goal would be by the end of the year to have a real clear uh, path towards how do we make these things more sustainable and how do we how do we keep them out of a landfill? Yeah, that definitely a noble approach uh, for what you guys are bringing to the market. And you know, after having you know become successful providing the products, to now make them even more sustainable or you know start paying attention more to the impacts that those products have is is awesome to see. I think the cannabis industry, unfortunately, it grew so fast that sustainability wasn't always in the in the conversation, and um, it may have always been for bold. But I th I'm talking more in general for the industry, like with peat moss consumption and soil and yeah. water. You know, putting nutrients into the systems, kind of everything Power from lights, cannabis everything. is very heavy. So I think uh, overall, as a culture, it's good to turn towards that sustainability and make sure that. Uh, you know, we can keep ha having this cannabis industry and even scale it larger over over the years. Absolutely. And uh, it kind no of happened like uh, 
Right, right. And if you think about it, it sort of happened in a like a microcosm um, with like the the automotive industry, you know, having lasted for 100 years and only now in the last 20 years turned towards sustainability. Well, cannabis started and exploded over six, seven years and have already already turned that corner for sustainability. It's um, it's kind of a lightning fast tranche or or vertical of of manufacturing. It's very cool to see that evolve. Yeah, I think it's. I think there's a lot of opportunity for all facets of of the industry to work on. And do you guys have assembly and manufacturing there in Arizona, or is that the head office for you guys? It's a head office. All of our manufacturing is done at our factory in China. Okay, nice. Yeah, I was, we actually uh, have more than one. We're we're actively looking to move outside of China. Um, not that we would ever leave China altogether, but. We look at it as a choice of one is a choice of none. And uh, we just feel exposed from the standpoint that if we can find something else that makes sense, and we've got a couple, three, four candidates um, that we would definitely try to uh, reduce our exposure. I see. Yeah. And um, when it comes to finding those manufacturers, how does one go about that? Do you have a guy um, or do you have to kind of hit the ground a little bit and, and find I'm out one who's of the out guys. there? You are the guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm one, I'm one of the guys. That's awesome. And uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, it just comes down to rolling up your sleeve and, and doing the kind of research you need to and and going and visiting places and seeing, seeing things, getting samples, doing really hardcore testing, not only with the devices themselves, but how do they react with oil in them? And uh, how does that oil look in six months or six weeks or six days after uh, being right. in contact with certain materials? There's just a lot... You know, it's easy to look at look at look at a vape cart and say, "Oh, you just put it up your mouth and hit it." When you really think about what's happening, I mean, you've got this really viscous oil in there, and in 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 nanoseconds, you inhale, and it's heating that, vaporizing that, bringing it into you, and then at the same time, cooling down in the same amount of time. <laughs> yeah the the technological process, the chemical process. The biological process of you inhaling, there's a whole lot going on right there in that two seconds as you put it back in your pocket. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, did you have to work through a few models um, on your way towards success, or were your early prototypes kind of in line outside of some minor testing and R&D? I think we got lucky. I think our first ones were pretty good. I think what what really challenges was, yeah, it was was luck, but what, what challenges was we had that you know, that period of time where people were, you know, people were getting sick um, and the vitamin E acetate thing was going on. Yes, sir. Was that coming from a dispensary? Was that coming from black market? And it kind of painted us all with the same brush um, that, hey, is your stuff safe? So if anything, I think um, it did a really good job of cleaning up the market and making sure that we were all taking it super serious and that, uh, you know, if something happened, it wasn't going to happen on our watch. I see. So it actually acted as kind of a uh, a call to action to 100%. you know to to defend the product's integrity and make sure that the the blame or lack of blame whatever is placed squarely outside of the manufacturers, right? These these folks making hardware. It's That's right. And that's maybe we were talking about the upsides of ancillary businesses, maybe the potential downsides of ancillary business is that many things are out of your control as well as far as the culture or the industry with those licensed companies. Absolutely. I mean, a classic example is there's, you know, there's a real science to how you fill and cap these devices. And 
if it's not done properly, it leads directly to leaking. And leaking always goes back to, you know, finger pointing comes back at someone like us. And so we take a, a great amount of time to educate the market or specifically our customers on the best way to fill these devices, the, the amount of time to, to cap the devices based on your oil, which we've analyzed and, and, uh, and given you best practices for. Uh, I see. So they really need to follow those SOPs to to get 100%. the most out of it. Yeah. Yes. It's in the software world. Sometimes we have problems that exist between the keyboard and the chair. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it might be similar with clients and consultants. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, when it comes to the industry overall, Bill, what's your perspective on it? You've seen it in that initial boom six years ago. And the rush up to COVID to then being declared, you know, a necessary um, uh, uh, vice or not necessarily vice, but a necessary industry. Uh-huh. And to now where I think the uh, last year we were maybe in a little bit of a slump, but with more federalization conversations, it seems like we're kind of picking up speed again. You've been along for the ride the whole time. Does it just feel like little bumps now or do you still kind of get swayed by the headlines or the industry news? I think um, there's a couple big, you know, elephants in the room, and one is reclassification. Um, you know, when and if is that is that going to happen? I know, literally, I read this morning that a bunch of senators got together and said, "Let's not reclassify it. Let's just just make it completely legal." And so you know, obviously, man. that's yeah, that's a giant step. I don't know that that will happen, but even re- reclassification in the banking bill, those two things would have a dramatic effect on the industry. And, you know, just when you think about it, banking side outside yeah. of everything. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine if you're a beer manufacturer and you have to do everything without a line of credit. You have to, you know, you have to buy the bottles, you have yeah, to brew the, the beer, up. you have to buy the equipment. Yeah. So it's a really, you know, like I said it earlier, you really got to give a lot of credit to the guys that are still hanging in there and being successful because it has not been easy on them. Yes. Yeah. A lot of upfront capital, a lot of risk there, putting down on things. Um, some even operating without banks, dealing with tax rates. Um, and then anything on the manufacturing on the manufacturing side is hit pretty heavily because you can't actually um, expense or count any of the labor and the work that's going into that Schedule One manufacturing product that you would normally. That's, that's right. That's heavy. I can't imagine on a a cultivation facility, really what the difference would be on their quarterly taxes without right. 280E. Those margins suddenly are are addressable maybe and not shrinking or not, you know, an afterthought. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, so when it comes to covering the globe with your nine countries and 39 states, do you have uh, folks on the ground or at this point with Bold, is it more attending some bigger conferences and letting the business hear about you through word of mouth and, and good business? It's a little bit of both. I mean, we're very active in, in the, in the show circuit, um, around the, the United States, also in Europe, uh, we go to think uh, something called Spanibus in Spain every year. Oh, that's um, on my list to get to one day. It looks awesome. Yeah. It's a there. good, sh- it's a good show. And then uh, ICBC is another one. Um, and so, but we've got people, you know, we've got people dedicated on, on the ground in many places, not everywhere. Um, but if we need to get on a plane and go somewhere, we're going to do it. Travel is still a, still part of the game, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the cannabis conferences are, can be so unique and so helpful for businesses at different stages. 
whether you are just learning about how cannabis licenses work or you have a solid ancillary business already under underway, the connections you can make at conferences is uh, pretty unreal. I'd- yeah, I think Benzinga is a great example where, you know, it's not a it's not a trade show where you're going to, you know, discover the next formulation for live resin, but you're probably <laughs> going to meet a lot of great people in the banking world um, right. that are going to, you know, be able to finance these people's operations moving forward. So it's a little bit of both. Yeah, right. A lot of a lot of great investment of bankers, um, and entrepreneurs. I really I enjoy Benzinga a lot with their kind of speed dating approach where you can get paired up with folks, kind of talk shop for 15, 20 minutes and move on. Um, no pain or no gain there. It's just kind of uh, have your conversation, see how the lines may cross and and next in line. Um, it was awesome to see so many people pitching and bringing their software products and business ideas to the space. Yeah, it's great. And Benzinga has been uh, growing and growing. I think this this year it's down in Miami again in the spring, Hollywood Beach. I'm planning to go there, and then we'll see about the fall. I'm trying to well, find uh, like the right conference balance with life and work. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to have a beer in the fall then. I mean in the spring. Yeah, for I'm gonna, sure. I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be at the one in Florida. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that and getting down and just sitting in those keynotes too are always. I'd like to tell people it's kind of like getting your um, getting the pulse of the industry. It's kind of yeah. getting the vibe in those rooms and hearing some of the speakers. Yeah. I'd like to speak on that stage here sometime, uh, Benzinga, if you're listening. I'd love to come and talk about uh, cannabis software and connoisseurship. I've seen kind cool. of the evolution of a seed to sale in the space to what it is now and contributed to a few of the players that are not really playing anymore. So it's a uh, it's an interesting story going on there. The legacy of seed to sale. <laughs> sure. Uh, do you have any uh, in-house software that you use for uh, marketing or inventory management? Anything on the ERP side that that kind of helps keep the business together, or do you use kind of a stack of solutions? We use a stack of solutions, but there's a lot of customization along with it. So it's not off the shelf by any means. We've got it uh, customized for our own requirements. Nice. And, uh, so, you know, and all of it, you know, integrates with accounting, obviously. Um, and, uh, but yeah, we haven't, you know, well, I think you're going to see more creativity out of us on the AI, AI side than maybe up to this point. I see. I see. Yeah. The AI piece sounds very interesting to start looking at, you know, analytics on where certain products are being sent the most or maybe even how often things are coming, um, starting to forecast. I know with a supply chain stretching across the ocean, it's uh, forecasting and, and planning becomes a big, a big piece of it. Absolutely. Do you ship to uh, East Coast and West Coast then, or do you ship directly to clients? Uh, typically what we do is we have everything coming here to Arizona and we ship it out from here. I there, there are there are exceptions to that, but, but the, I would say in the high nineties, it, it touches down in Phoenix before it goes out, because you know we keep a we keep a massive amount of inventory here, so you know you've got basically two worlds here. You've got what we call custom orders, which is what you what you want your logo on on the device, and then we've also got what we call the blanks, which is just blanks cards blank blank devices. So we want to be in a position where we can help the customers, you know, within 24, 48 hours by keeping extra stuff here stateside. 
I see. I see. And do you guys put it the labels on there then at the at the home office? If if someone no, wants to go to the custom order? Uh both. So if we have more lead time, we do it overseas. It's less expensive, but we absolutely have uh, resources to do it actually here in town. Awesome. Yeah, I was. that's how folks are getting their dispensary branded or specific brand uh, uh, brand carts and all-in-ones. Yeah, it's all silk screening and other printing methods. I see, I see. And on the logo side, I saw there was a little interesting story with the origin of your logo. And the yeah. and the new and improved logo for Bold, which looks great with the two blue stripes going horizontally. Yeah, could you tell a little bit of that story with the original Bold logo? Yeah, so the original Bold logo was uh, it had three uh, green stripes that signified smoke, kind um, of like the vapor and, or the smoke kind of rising up, right? Yeah, and so we were contacted by Monster Energy Drink, who said that we were uh, infringing on their trademark, and if you look at our two logos, they couldn't be any further from each other. Plus, we're not a consumer-facing company. Plus, we're not in the same industry. I go on and on and on. You know, and our response to them was, "Why don't you go after Spotify? They're the ones whose logo looks like <laughs> yours, not ours." Um, and we, we, you know, tongue in cheek, we had a decision to make. You know, do we want to fight? And we had just fought a big lawsuit the previous year, and uh, and won. And uh, but we said, you know what? Um, we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to sit this one out. We're going to come up with a logo we all like better. And so uh, we've been really pleasantly surprised by everybody's reaction to the new one. The blue and the, and the horizontal has been a, has been a, uh, a hit so far. Yeah, it definitely looks slick. Uh, it looks clean. And uh, I think that's probably a, a good decision to make. And when it comes to choosing the battles you're fighting, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I guess to be fair, maybe monster was punching a little bit. Uh, a little bit down at at new companies or at other industries that way. I could understand if you guys were beverages, then it's like, okay, maybe we're crossing into their, into their territory. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I'm guessing not many people at, at Monster even knew. I'm guessing this is an outside law firm that who just does to that. be a hound dog. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Oh, shout out to those law firms, I guess. Yeah. Everyone's needed. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Bill, one question we've been asking many of our guests is, which state do you think will be the last to have a record medical program or I guess would require federalization before they actually have an industry? We've had all kinds of suggestions from Kansas to folks in the folks in the um, kind of a, the southeast up into the Dakotas. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of good candidates that. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on on the states and the different laws, but I find it very curious that Indiana hasn't flipped when you consider they're surrounded by Ohio, Michigan, and Illinois. And the it's, fact that it's closing in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yet they haven't budged, right? Um, yet yeah, sports gambling is legal there, um, so you got to scratch your head and go, ah, interesting. Yep. So you can gamble from your couch, but if you need to smoke a joint, you got to drive over the state lines. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, Indiana would be the top of the top one. The one that surprised me that went legal was Mississippi because I thought they'd be one of the last ones. Yeah, um, right. They saw a little bit more of the more of the benefits, perhaps, or are ready to try to get some of that in state. I think the, I mean, you know, just as a podcast host, as a software guy, I don't have the perspective that these state legislators have, but I imagine seeing other states benefit and build up 
in-state industries that are employing hundreds of thousands of people, uh, it's, it, it's pretty enticing to look at from a state perspective. But yeah, a- that, that makes something like Texas super interesting, right? Because there's such a large opportunity and uh, you, you have to believe that it's, it's coming sooner or later. Right, right. I think Texas has a medical, but it's very, it's very strictly medical with only few licenses. Correct. Yeah, and and for being the largest state in the U.S., there's a huge market to address there. I think Minnesota just did a study where they found they would need a little bit over 300 dispensaries in state to kind of serve the population and build the industry there. Now, putting Minnesota in Texas. What is Texas going to need? A thousand dispensaries? Yeah, right. yeah exactly. <laughs> we'll see who's we'll see who's who's last, or if federalization kind of cleans that up, so no one has to take the last place trophy. Right, right. <laughs> yep, and it sounds like you guys are maybe on a quest for those last eleven states too. Some some yeah, of the absolutely. holdouts that don't have bold clients yet. Well, and you've also you know you've got the issue of Delta Eight, so the states that don't have it. You know, there's, there's that thing going on. So, right. you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, the vast, well, all the states where it's legal, the citizens voted for it. This wasn't legislation. This was a referendum and it passed. It's actually and coming so, from the people. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. It's a wild time to live to see that. I think, um, looking back, you know, at my time, like in high school or something thinking, you know, you know, will cannabis be legal? It's like, well, not in my lifetime. Might as well keep dreaming. And now here we are talking about it and and building empires, and, right? And celebrating 420 every year. <laughs> yeah, it's become just a mainstream holiday rather than something that's kind of hush-hush with your friends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, are there other industries that Bold is, is catering to? Or is it almost all cannabis, THCA, CBD? I didn't know if there were other... Um, types of essential oils or other vape categories that might have a small portion of the attention or well, we're starting to see a very small, um, you know, request for, for, um, psychedelics in the places where they're legal. I see. So we think, we think cartridges eventually play a role in that. Um, (laughs) and, uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. And again, you know, we, we do packaging for everything. So, you know, we're not whether you want a jar or you want a bag or you want, you know, a mylar uh, bag. So we're, we touched the whole industry that way. But, uh, yeah, I think I don't know that there's many new frontiers for us, at least in the short term. The psychedelia side will be huge as that slowly gets more traction. Um, just watching that evolve, it's very uh, pharmaceutical. It's very science based and it's really keeping things in the medical realm for the time being, which it's probably good um, due to the kind of what can happen if you have too many psychedelics or if you're not ready for an experience, then I think it's maybe good to keep it safe. But it does seem like it's rolling out a little bit different than the way that cannabis went. We'll see kind of what kind of conversation we're having in six years. As, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. As you guys are building the packaging for the new psilocybin market or there you go. DMT cartridges or who knows what, because <laughs> a lot of that is will be ready to go for the for the markets. I, and I, I saw some of those at lunch today for the very first time. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're already in the works on huh? the different companies starting to plan. Yeah. Fun stuff there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very excited about the psychedelia psychedelic market and psychedelia in general, just being enforced or encouraged a little more through society. 
um, obviously the, there's some fun there and some, some leisure time, but it's really the healing and the therapeutic benefits from a microdosing that, you know, when experiencing them myself in the past, I've always thought like, oh, I just want to show this to my like uncle, or I just wish my aunt could try this or, you know, someone I know could get over something and try this little bit of mushroom. I think that's really going to change the conversation. Well, I think it could go a lot, a lot of way forward by just making everyone watch How to Change Your Mind on Netflix, which is a three-part series. Yeah, the Mi- is that the Michael Pollan documentary and book? He's part yeah. of it, I think. But yeah, but it's you know, it's you know, it opened my eyes to it for sure, as far as the medicinal uh, uh, portion of the industry and how beneficial it is for people with mental health issues and things like that. It's amazing. Yeah, right. For just. Um like anxiety, depression kind of things. Like you can have some long-term help with very low impact, uh, low impact therapy. That's exciting. Absolutely. And uh, Bold will be there along the way as, as those products strike up. That's going to be cool to see. Yeah. Well, Bill, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show today, man. I just uh, want to say that I've, I see a lot of success already with Bold over the last six years. And it's, um, you know, onwards and upwards from here, man. Where else can our listeners connect with you or find out more about the company? Yeah, so the best way to get us is www.boldcartsalloneword.com. And they can uh, have us contact us through the website. Um, And I'll see you in person uh, in April in Florida. Hey, headed to Benzinga. Yes, sir. Thank you, Bill. I, I couldn't appreciate it more. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.